Welcome to $100 Plus Mileage, the podcast about those New Hampshire bills that don't make the news, but still could impact you. Sure, everyone in New Hampshire is worried about high property taxes, but you have, you heard the debate over whether New Hampshire should legalize organ sales. Mike, hit me with some other oddball legislative debates. Oh man, there's so many. Okay, uh, how about this? Should your school, local school be allowed to put advertisements on lunch trays? Hmm, okay. I remember that Interesting. one. I remember yeah, okay. also dog related ones i there was the should restaurants be allowed to let dogs eat with their customers and or should you get a ticket for driving with a dog in your lap yep yep okay uh how about should a daycare be allowed to use cloth diapers hmm okay actually know someone who went through that it's like a whole sanitation issue but then they were like i want to be green (laughs) right exactly yeah or uh you know the the legendary should new hampshire citizens uh be allowed to collect seaweed at night Yep, that is, there's, it's against the law right now. Better watch that, out about collecting that seaweed. It's surprisingly a little bit of a complex debate. Maybe we should do an episode on that sometime. I was going to say that, well, that definitely needs to be an only in New Hampshire segment. Uh, and then this one's uh, near and dear to my heart as an entertainer. Should entertainers at bars be allowed to drink during a performance? Okay, pros and cons. Yes, because shout out one, to Mike Dunbar, once the coronavirus <laughs> is no more, Knock on wood, that will happen eventually. Right. Um, Mike is a, a fabulous performer on the Seacoast sometimes. So, yep. you know, I I, I, don't, I guess we should be able to buy you a beer while you're up on stage. There you go. And right now we can't. So these are all bills that have come before the New Hampshire legislature. And while they sound trivial sometimes, they all tie back to the debates over public safety, how to fund education and infrastructure, and of course, balancing state, federal, local, and individual rights. This podcast unpacks these proposals, gives you the pros and cons, and highlights the opportunities for you to make your voice heard. Because in a state where legislators are paid just $100 plus mileage, regular folks have a lot of access to the legislative process. I'm Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. And I'm Mike Dunbar, Content Editor for Citizens Count. And also musician extraordinaire. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're talking about eyebrow microblading and who should be allowed to do it in New Hampshire. So like many occupations in New Hampshire, you have to have a license to operate. In this case, a tattoo license. But there's a proposal to open it up to cosmetologists and estheticians. So basically, should you be able to get your eyebrows microbladed while you are also getting your nails done? And I will admit, when I first saw this bill, I had no idea what it was about. Microblading, I was brought to mind like Blade Runner. And I I mean, there are some very statement heavy brows from the 1980s. I mean, Mike, who do you think has the most iconic brows of all time? Man, I was thinking about this. I I don't know how I think the answer has to be Frida Kahlo. You you know, know? I I totally thought of Frida Kahlo also comes to mind. Charlie Chaplin and Brooke Brooke Shields. Pretty classic if we're talking Mm -hmm. 1980s. Um, I feel like I'm aging myself a little bit, which is always an (laughs) odd feeling. But At any rate, microblading is an option to get the look of fuller brows. I don't think anyone has gone in wanting to look like Frida Kahlo, but nonetheless, if you have really thin brows or they're kind of a weird shape, it's a form of semi-permanent tattooing. There's this super fine pen made of tiny needles and they'll cut the skin, deposit pigment, make these tiny little eyebrow hairlines. And it lasts for one to two years, and it can cost a few hundred dollars over $1,000 sometimes because it, it, is, it is temporary tattooing. Right. Yeah. And it, it's worth noting, too, that it's not just for people who want that look of fuller eyebrows. You know, uh, cancer survivors and other people with medical hair loss use microblading to restore the look of natural eyebrows. So right now in New Hampshire, only a licensed tattoo artist can perform microblading. 
And a tattoo license requires a year's apprenticeship, which is not little. Right, right. Uh, But HB 70, sponsored by Representative Carol McGuire, would change that. So the bill uh, would allow licensed cosmetologists and estheticians, which is a hard word to say, to perform microblading with a certificate from the state. Uh, The Office of Professional Licensure and Certification would be responsible for setting the requirements for a certificate, including training courses and standards for hygiene, stuff like that. So supporters of this bill, HB 70, argue that cosmetology and skincare professionals already have a lot of related experience. And with a training certificate, they could do this safely. The year-long tattoo apprenticeship is pretty intense. And we're talking about people that have already gone to school. They're already working around people's eyelashes with like eyelash extensions. They use hot wax to rip hair out of your body. They use chemicals in hair dye. They'll they'll use their little scissors to cut around your cuticles. I'm, I'm possibly touching on things here, Mike, that you have not experienced in life yeah, the- as a dude. <laughs> um, I, it, some of it sounds really scary when I describe it's like it like medieval this. Like, torture. <laughs> like I, I will admit that I have experienced, so I've, I've you know, haircuts and dyes. I've, I've tried that. I have had manicures in the past. Um, I have had different wax stuff in the back at past. I've never had the eyelash extension thing because I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm convinced I would, I would rip them out, I guess. I don't know. I just don't trust myself <laughs> with anything that like you need to be careful with. But so, yeah, I mean, you're right. It sounds a little bit like medieval torture and we're already really entrusting a lot of our, you know, personal safety with these people. So yeah, I mean, do they need to be able to tattoo if we're talking about it's, you know, it's semi-temporary, it's, it's one to two years. Right. So uh, the Office of Professional Licensure and Certification, which uh, is sometimes called the OPLC for short, could choose to set some pretty strict requirements for the microblading certificate if they when if we go this route so we're not talking about a two-hour seminar or something like that it could be uh you know two weeks or more of classes and training uh it could include special hygiene procedures to deal with blood and things like that yeah so the bill is sort of like it basically gives the oplc the green light to say set their own standards but it could be cosmetologists and estheticians not just tattoo artists and The argument that I heard that was kind of interesting in the hearing was maybe this could bring down costs, right? So if more people can do it in New Hampshire, if it's slightly less of a high bar to start doing it, you don't have to be the tattoo artist, then maybe it could be cheaper for people who have medical hair loss. You know, we were talking about cancer survivors and this could be, you know, the idea of getting this done to your face, it's that it can make you feel like yourself again. And maybe you shouldn't have to pay a thousand dollars to get that done. Right, right. Um, But in the end, we're still talking about a form of tattooing. Uh, It may fade after a year or two, but this treatment isn't just like another haircut or a manicure or something like that. And I will, I I feel a little bad saying this, but it's it's a little funny if you Google botched microblading. I I feel really, (laughs) I feel so bad saying that, but I'm not going to lie. There's I know, but like, because when I was researching this issue and you Google it, it's like one of the top results is this woman who had just terribly crooked, just awfully crooked eyebrows. And the The internet was made for this stuff. I mean, it's just, and the the worst part of the story I was reading, this was not in New Hampshire, by the way. This is just like in general, in the world of microblading, like you don't want an idiot doing it. And um, this this poor woman in the article was like, I was seeing a guy and he broke up with me because of my crooked eyebrows. Oh, no. 
It's so sad, and but also I just couldn't help but laugh. So yeah, the moral of the story. So I learned, obviously, yeah. you don't want just anyone doing this. And if it goes wrong, you potentially need laser tattoo removal. Like there's it's a whole science to it, and it depends on like how long since you got the treatment done. And then so sometimes they can try to kind of fade it or put like a, a different like neutral color over it. But if we're to ever get to the point of tattoo removal, which is possible, that could be thousands of dollars. So we're talking way more than the initial treatment. Right. Yeah. And crooked eyebrows aren't even the worst of it. Like there's the potential for infection or bloodborne diseases. Uh, some states like Georgia have historically banned any sort of tattooing around the eyes. Uh, at the public hearing for this, many current licensed tattoo artists testified that they thought microblading should still only be done by, well, themselves. I, I mean, there, there's a certain argument. After I saw those uh, those botched ones, which is not to say, but, you know, well, whatever. That's the whole point is, is pros and cons, pros and cons. You know, you right. the tattoo artists, I've also seen botched tattoos, which is a whole other area of <laughs> um, Google and Reddit where you can see the yes. awful, awful tattoo choices that people have made. Not always the artist. Sometimes it's the person. But all right. We've been talking about eyebrows for a while now. But this I think this debate goes beyond that because there's this huge ongoing debate about occupational licenses in general, new licenses for certain professions, revising the training requirements, raising or lowering the exam fees, the license renewals fees, the penalty for if you're doing business without a license or or you uh, falsify your qualifications or whatever. Right. Just this year, there are bills about licensing music therapists, uh, wild mushroom harvesters. Another bill would increase the number of cats and dogs a person can transfer without a pet vendor license. One omnibus bill in the Senate covers everything from limited plumbing specialist license, whatever that means, to nursing assistant licenses during the COVID-19 emergency. So all sorts of different stuff. I'm going to have to look up what a limited plumbing specialist is. <laughs> I, I, I mean, given what I have to do to remove my long hair from my shower drain, I, I personally would pay a license <laughs> Maybe you qualify. To do yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe I've been doing this enough my whole life. You know, it depends. Um, because, yeah, th- some of these licenses are, are not so intense. You know, it, it is just a fee. But the common theme is there's this tension between protecting consumers on one hand, and then on the other hand, making it easier to start working in a field in New Hampshire. Right, right. It's it's true that when you compare some of these occupational license requirements at first glance, they seem a little burdensome. Uh, a couple of years back, there was a bill in New Hampshire that made it clear that you do not need a cosmetologist's license to braid hair. Uh, this was particularly an issue for black granite staters who were concerned that they were breaking the law just to style natural hair. So Governor, Governor Sununu uh, signed that bill into law in 2017. I remember that de- debate because, all right, under current law, it is a misdemeanor if you work as a cosmetologist without a license. So I remember that debate back in 2017. There were some women who testified that they had braiding businesses because it's it's a whole art. As a UFC fan, also, I've seen the braiding that goes on in women's hair. It's so cool. I tried it at home. I could not recreate how cool that is. Um, so they could they could have a whole business offering this. And that would also potentially, you know, that makes it having these braiding services makes it a more welcoming community in New Hampshire for women of color. But on the other hand, they were sitting there and they're like, do I have to go to cosmetology school and pay all these fees just to 
work with braiding, which I think we can agree, kind of hard. Like, I, I don't, I'm not an expert, but it's kind of hard to imagine how that could really hurt someone, you know? I mean, at least with cutting hair, you're like potentially stabbing people with scissors. I don't know. But so at any rate, this this is um, what we're talking about. These These barriers to entering the workforce. And especially since New Hampshire has a workforce shortage, there are a lot of advocates for easing occupational license requirements saying, let's make it easier for people to come and work here. Right. But of course, then we get back to public safety on the flip side. So a bad haircut might be temporary, but a, you know, a poisonous mushroom or an infected tattoo needle could actually be deadly. So speaking of public health, I just have to share one other weird bill I found related to salons when I was digging into this. <laughs> Back in 2012, there was a bill, HB 1538, that would have required legislative approval before the state prohibited, quote unquote, innovative cosmetic or aesthetic treatments unless there was a substantial threat of harm to the public. So I was like, what is this? What is that? What are they talking about? Lo and behold, it was all about fish pedicures. (laughs) So Mm. microblading is far from the first time New Hampshire has debated some specific salon service and i doubt it will be the last and i now also know about fish pedicures because i was gonna say do i even want to know what a fish oh man i went down a rabbit hole (laughs) so they banned the new hampshire board of barbering cosmetology and aesthetics passed a rule about 10 years ago that prohibited the use of animals to perform a service in a salon which just also pause like i've heard of fish pedicures but we're talking like worms and reptiles and and, and i I don't know what else i have questions Mm. but so someone petitioned the, the board and said, I want to offer fish pedicures, which is you put your feet in this bath. I've, I've seen it's popular. I think it's popular in Japan. And they start agitating the water, which excites these little fishies that then start sucking the dead foot skin. Like just they, they, <laughs> they eat it, I guess, um, which and people talk about, oh, it feels like tickling, you know. But the once again, this of, feels like more like something you would read about in medieval torture than it does like a <laughs> beauty routine. But Mike, should we start a, a podcast that's like a, a feminist lens on on beauty practices and just how much they all like when you just break them down and start talking about them? They, they sound really creepy. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, tiny fish eating dead foot skin. I mean, I guess there's a demand for it. <laughs> <laughs> because someone petitioned the board and they were they said that they want to do this. You have your rule against using animals, um, which also, once again, my question, what else would you use them for? Yeah, what uh, other animals are there? Like a leeches, right? You know, that's what I keep on thinking of is leeches mm-hmm. back in, in, in the medical bloodletting. So, yeah. Bloodletting. So the board considered it and, and they were like, we have a rule that requires all implements to be sanitized and disinfected and we can't disinfect or sanitize the fish. So... You'd either have to, so like what would you like it would be like you'd have to kill the fish every time after you use just like get rid of them. Uh-huh. Uh, you couldn't be reusing them with people. Yeah, it, it, that was the problem. And when when you think of like, I will admit, like part of me was very curious that, about like maybe this would be fun in a really weird <laughs> way because like new experiences, fun. But then when you read more about like, oh well, the the fish are basically swimming swimming around in a pool of like your own foot dirt, and then whatever they've got going on because they're little animals too. So I don't know, maybe on their tiny, tiny, tiny little scales, they have their own things going on that they want to have a salon treatment for, and now you're just like in the water with that. So this is a very long tangent to just go down another rabbit hole with New Hampshire policy and uh, talk about yeah, public health. The state definitely takes public health seriously when they're looking at occupational licenses. The pros are it could help cosmetologists expand their businesses and maybe lower costs for consumers. But 
the cons are that this is a form of tattooing that deals with blood and infections and semi-permanent lines on your face. So maybe it should stay in the realm of tattoo artists. Anna, if I'm interested in this bill, how can I take action on it? HB 70 passed the House on February 24th. Next up, it's heading to the Senate for a public hearing. There's no date yet as of this moment of recording, but when that date comes up, we'll try to let you know, and you can always testify virtually one of the small benefits of the coronavirus. So uh, that's another moment where, once again, if you are, maybe you have medical hair loss and you want to create, open up the door to this, or maybe you know a tattoo artist or a cosmetologist and you know how this could impact their business, you you have a story to tell and legislators, you know, they can research an issue on their own, but they're interested in your personal story. So definitely, if you're connected, reach out to your elected officials. Now it's time for my favorite segment, only in New Hampshire. Mike, what do you have for us today? All right. How about this? So uh, I didn't know that New Hampshire didn't adopt its state motto until the mid 20th century. Uh, you know, you think about live free or die, that seems like it's been New Hampshire's motto forever. Around but, forever. Uh, I mean, you always hear about how it came from the, the Revolutionary War, basically. Right, right. So New Hampshire didn't adopt live free or die as a state motto until May 1945, after over 1,200 New Hampshire casualties uh, were suffered in World War II. So the motto was proposed by Manchester representative and future House Speaker uh, J. Walker Wiggin on Pause. behalf. Really cool name. What a great name! Really cool I know. name. Incredible. Uh, on behalf of the Manchester chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution. So according to a 1945 New Hampshire Telegraph article, uh, Wiggin argued in favor of the motto because quote it is a direct charge, one that has stood the test of the passing time and still has life and means something to every New Hampshire citizen and will continue to do so in the future. So that is how uh, New Hampshire got arguably the most metal state motto ever <laughs> uh, in all 50 states. It is crazy when you think about, like, when people from other states talk about New Hampshire, I feel they know about live for your die. They bring oh, yeah. it up. But it was it's not eternal. This is, it is relatively new. It's, it reminds me of how we actually rewrote our state constitution in the latter half of the 20th century. It's, you know, there's this, this feeling that New Hampshire and the government is eternal and monolithic. But this is just another example about how actually it does keep evolving. And even things that we think have, quote unquote, always been that way, haven't. And, and mm. that means, you know, not saying I don't love our motto, because as you said, it's super metal and I can definitely get behind that. <laughs> but I do also like the fact that it reminds me that we are constantly evolving and that there can be more evolution in the future. But good luck trying to change it now. I don't think it's going anywhere, folks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, we talked like it's on our license plates. It's on the welcome signs. It's part of the tourist campaign, like live free and dot, dot, dot. And God forbid we even start about talking about the state flag. I know that there was a bill once that proposed a committee to change the state flag. And whew, people got up in arms about that, which mm -hmm. also wh why I don't I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be the first one to say I, I have no sentimental attachment to our state flag. I, maybe that's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm broken inside. I, <laughs> it's kind of complicated and doesn't seem to have a lot of personal meaning to me. All right. Enough commentary. That wraps up for our episode today. You can find more information in episodes at citizenscount.org. We'd also like to thank Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting our podcast. Our theme music is composed by the man over there, Mike Dunbar. Lastly, we thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be part of what makes New Hampshire by the people for the people.